0: My name is Alex Duncan. I serve as the pastor over 20s now, uh, along with our kids ministry. And in 20s, we want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ transform young adults in Rockford and in the areas around us. So that is our mission. And the way that we get there, the way that we get to that mission is doing two things. We declare Jesus and we develop Jesus followers. And so every time you're coming to 20s, those are what you should expect. We're gonna proclaim Jesus. We're gonna tell you more about what he did on the cross for you and how that frees you from sin. But with that, we're also gonna try and develop you. (laughs) That happens through preaching, but it also happens through worship as we sing. God moves our hearts to be in line with Christ. It happens through life groups. I mean, how many of you are in a life group right now? 20s life group, come on. And those have been awesome. I know we enjoy ours. That's a place where God is developing you as a Jesus follower. One-on-one meetings, like all that stuff. We're doing it because we want to develop you. We want to help you grow in Christ. And the only way that's going to happen in our worship, in our preaching, in our life groups, in our one-on-ones is if it's centered on this, if it's centered on God's word. We believe in the Bible. We're Bible people here at 20s. And if that ever changes, then 20s shouldn't exist anymore because this is what brings us together. We believe this is the inspired word of God, that he has spoken it to us with authority and that when we submit to it, our greatest joy is found. Our greatest joy is found when we come under the word. And I think that's really important because we can just be so easily pulled. I know for me, I have to confess that every morning, Lord, I don't even want to read the Bible right now. I want to just like scroll on my phone and watch YouTube shorts or something. But then it's like, no, that is not joy. Joy is coming to the word. And so uh, we're always going to be coming to that. And that's what we're going to do tonight. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 15. You can also go there in your phone if you have it on there. And uh, as you guys are turning there, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones? Yeah? How does it end? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Right? It's the school rhyme we all learned as kids. And uh, what it's supposed to mean is that the one saying it is unaffected by name calling or insult. So if you're on the school playground and like little Johnny comes up to you, do we have any Johnnies in the room? Okay, little Brendan, little Brendan comes up to you. <laughs> that's not in my notes. <laughs> little Brendan comes up to you and he's just like, nah, 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 nah. he's making fun of you. A valid defense, a valid defense would be to say, well, sticks and stones may break my buns. Words will never hurt me. Apparently you could say that and it would defend you and you would supposedly be able to stay calm and all those things. And uh, I would say that's great and all. Uh, if your enemy only has words to throw at you. But what do you do if they bring the sticks and the stones? In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus told the crowds how much it would cost to be his disciples, he didn't say, you know, pick up some dandelions and come follow me. He said, take up your cross. Likewise, in Matthew chapter five, verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And as if that's still not enough, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says to the believers, uh, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but that you should suffer for his sake. You know, suffering is something that we all go through. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer, that's going to happen because of sin. But when you come to the Bible, what it tells us, is that there is an added layer of misery that believers get to experience, and it comes from the world around us. There are very real sticks and stones that have very real implications for our lives as believers. And the Bible calls this persecution. Again, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted, right, when the world comes after you. And uh, for us, that can look like a lot of different things. I mean, you probably won't be killed for sharing your faith. That's what the disciples are going to have to encounter. But there are going to be things that will cost you. Uh, I can guarantee that if you're faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing it with people, uh, you're going to offend some of your friends that are non-believers. You might lose a job. Uh, You might lose some followers on Instagram. That's for sure. There are all kinds of consequences we can face for proclaiming Jesus, even if they're different from the ones that the early church faced. Uh, Back then, the world would kill you for your faith. Now they'll just cancel you. And the thing to understand about that is that either way, it's death. And I I really wanted to make this clear as we started. Uh, If the world is going to kill you and make you a martyr, well, you're dying physically. And if you're not facing that in our culture, they're going to cancel you, they're killing you socially. Either way, it's death. Physical death, social death. Those are the two options that we face. And if we're not ready for that, then our faith and our evangelism is going to suffer. And we will not be effective in the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us, which is primarily to glorify his name. And so my question tonight is, are you ready for the sticks and stones that our world has to offer? Very simple. Are you ready? And looking back to our text for tonight, we're gonna be reading from verse 18 of John chapter 15, and I'm gonna be going all the way through chapter 16, verse four. And as I read it for us, I want you to think about what Jesus has to say regarding persecution. That's gonna be the main theme tonight. And then I want you to keep my question in the back of your mind. Are you ready for sticks and stones? Okay, and so I'm gonna read it for us, starting in verse 18. Jesus has been... uh, But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Holy Spirit, the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. That is the word of the Lord. In the gospel of John, What's important for us to understand when we come to this text is that the disciples have not really faced persecution yet. I mean, they've been going with Jesus for a couple years now, three years, maybe. And so far, the worst thing that they've had to face is like Pharisees and maybe a couple angry crowds. Um, They haven't had to die for their faith yet. They haven't had to really suffer, but that is about to happen. Uh, We know that as soon as Jesus leaves, (laughs) as soon as he dies and then is buried and resurrected and then goes into heaven, the early church, I mean, they are going to get wiped out by persecution. It's going to come way more intense than when Jesus was on the earth. And if the disciples were not ready for this to happen, their faith was going to be snuffed out. And Jesus, being a good teacher, does not want that to happen. That's why John chapter 15, uh, the second half of it, exists. Up to this point, uh, for the last two chapters, Jesus has been talking to the disciples about one thing, and that is their mission. He's been telling them, what is your mission? And the mission is to simply go and tell people the good news about me, that I came, I'm the son of God, and I died for their sins, or I'm going to die for their sins so that they could be forgiven, right? And we talked about how he, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit is going to be what actually you know, enables you to proclaim my name, And then after that, he says, and as you're doing that, I want you to be fruitful in the mission, right? He talks about the vine bearing fruit. That's how you do it. As you bear fruit, that's you telling people about Jesus. And then even after that, he talks about the love that we are to have for one another. He says that's evidence of this mission is the love. And now he's going to change gears. So he's been talking a lot about the mission itself, but now he's going to shift to the context of the mission. Where is this mission going to take place? And guys, for us to understand this, we have to realize that the context of the mission is opposition. Let me say that again. The context of the mission is opposition. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples. He wants them to realize that when they go out to proclaim the gospel, it is not going to be sunshine and rainbows the whole way through. And that's good because if Jesus doesn't tell them this and Peter goes to Pentecost, he's like, wow, I just preached my first sermon post-Jesus. I got 2,000 converts. I can't wait. Onward and upward. Immediately gets beaten, thrown into prison. You'd be like, what? And So Jesus is like, he's helping them out here. He's saying, look, this is not going to go just straight up. There's going to be some suffering. And so for us, what does that mean? Well, point number one, it means that persecution is inevitable. Persecution is inevitable. It's interesting, if you look at verses 20 and 21, uh, the word that really stands out is will. In verse 20, Jesus says, they will persecute you. They will keep. They will do all these things to you. They will, they will, they will, they will. It's all future tense language because Jesus does not want the disciples to miss it. As soon as you start preaching about me, guys, guess what's happening? Guess what's gonna happen? You will persecuted. And really, he gives two reasons why this is going to happen, or at least there's two that I see. And the first reason why Christians will be persecuted always is because, number one, they're new nature. So if you're taking notes, you can put that down. New nature. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that if anyone comes to Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's an awesome verse. I love that idea. The old is gone, the new has come. And really what it is talking about is a spiritual reality where as soon as you put your faith in Jesus Christ, right, that means you acknowledge, yes, Lord, I believe you exist. Yes, I believe you came. You did all these things that the Bible says. Now I'm trusting in it. Scripture says that the moment that happens, you are rescued from the kingdom of death, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the enemy, you are pulled out, extracted, and put into a new kingdom, which is the kingdom of Christ. That's what's being described in 2 Corinthians. And if that is the case, it makes sense then that those who are still in the kingdom of death will not be happy with the people who left. I really loved how D.A. Carson explained it. In his commentary, he says, Former rebels... Who have, by the grace of the king, been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. So what's he saying? If we are all in rebellion, and then one of us goes back to the king, the rest of us are not going to be happy with them. And here's how that, here's just a very practical illustration. It's kind of like a bandwagon fan, right? And so most of you if you're new here you don't know this about me but you'll figure it out quick. I am a Kansas City Chiefs fan. It's just it is what it is. <laughs> the thing is, I didn't become that recently. I grew up in Kansas City. I lived there for like the good years and the bad years of football. And so I was there thick and thin rooting for them for a good portion of my life and then I've now gotten to, you know, rejoice as we're like, "Woo, we're good." But imagine if I came and I was your, you know, 20s pastor and I carried the same amount of energy. I talked about Patrick Mahomes the same amount as I do right now. But I had never lived there and I had never been a fan until two years ago. And up till that point, I was a Green Bay Packers fan. Oh, yeah. You guys are like, we would hate your guts. Some of you are like, I still hate your guts. (laughs) You know, it's funny, but that's exactly how Christians seem to non-believers. I mean, to them, we have now sided with the enemy and therefore we cannot be reconciled. That's why persecution is inevitable. And what adds fuel to that fire is not only that we as Christians are in the new kingdom and have a new nature, but we also now expose the evil of their old nature. And this is the second point of this. Uh, We expose evil. Because if we are living consistently as believers, then our lives will naturally contradict the lifestyles of the people around us. I mean, the way we speak, our work ethic, I mean, our views on things like sex and marriage, life, all of that is going to go against the grain of the world. And it will actually infuriate them because it will reveal that they are not living underneath God's standard, his righteous standard. And because we contradict them and are unwilling to affirm them in their sinful lifestyles, our existence, and get this, not our going after anybody, but our mere existence will be taken as a direct offense that in their eyes warrants an attack. That's the reality of being a Christian in a lot of ways. And I will just go on the record here and say that there are many instances where Christians have earned the attack wrongfully, not by living righteously, but by just saying dumb things, being mean, rude, whatever you want to call it. But even beyond that, if you were to say everything perfectly, truth and love 100% of the way, the world would still hate you. They would still reject you. And they still would be infuriated by you because you reveal that they are sinners. And the reason why you do that is because you're willing to admit that you're a sinner yourself. And that's what Jesus is getting at here in verse 19. Verse 19. He says, "If the world hates you, know that it has it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, and here it is, if you were of the world, the world would love you. If you were doing all those things, guess what? You'd be fine. They would not care. But you are not of the world, and because of that, and because Jesus chose you out of the world, therefore the world now hates you. That's the whole point. Um, you know, we're not of this world anymore." And we expose the evil for what it is just by being there. And it's kind of like, you know, the sibling who never gets in trouble. They always, you know, infuriate the siblings who do get in trouble. Have you ever noticed this? How many of you are the sibling that never got in trouble? Oh, yeah. How many of you are like the one that hated that one? (laughs) I was thinking about this. I was like, this is so true. I was definitely the troublemaker. I, um, I have an older, I have four siblings, but my older sister, Kelsey was pretty angelic. And there would be like, this is sin. Like I would genuinely dislike her because I knew I like would get spanked like at least four or five more times a week than she would. And like, you know, like you would have just done something dumb or said something rude to your mom. And then Kelsey would be there and she'd be like, oh, mom. She's like patting her. And you're like, she's like making it worse. You're like, I hate you. (laughs) I mean, their holiness would expose my unholiness and that's exactly why conflict is unavoidable this is why persecution happens and certainly there's like the do good like know it all who's perfect and that certainly is infuriating but just christians not even doing that but just living righteously infuriates the people who are not living righteously because it condemns them and they just get angry by the fact that you're not willing to do what they're willing to do And one of their main tactics in dragging you down is by trying to get you to do the sin that they love, right? It's because they want to not be seared (laughs) in their consciences by your testimony. And so again, our holiness exposes their holiness. Conflict and persecution becomes unavoidable. And if that is true, then why do we try so hard to avoid it? Why do we try so hard to avoid persecution? I think this is a question we really need to think about. Because if I were, if I had to guess, I would say that the majority of the people in this room have not seriously encountered persecution yet in life. I could totally be wrong, and I'd be willing to repent, but if I just had to go out on a limb, I would say the majority of us in the room have not seriously encountered persecution yet. And one of the reasons why that is is because we have not given the world a good enough reason to persecute us. I mean, a lot of the times, if you have not been like, you're like, oh man, I've never had someone like actually get amped at me for my faith. Well, it's like, maybe they don't even know you have faith. Maybe your life doesn't reflect Christ. Maybe you're not sharing the gospel. And so if that's where you're at and you're like, man, I've never had to actually suffer, And I would say, look inward first and say, man, what could I do? And here's some ways that that plays out practically. What does it look like to faithfully pursue the gospel mission? Here's the first one. Invite people to your house. Have them over for dinner. Have a good conversation with them. Like ask them what they love, what they do. Get to know them. And then as you get to know them and love them, Tell them about the person you love, which is Jesus Christ. And that's the key, because I think a lot of us are fearful of even inviting someone into our lives. But then you kind of get past that barrier. And then there's the second one of, okay, now you're in my life, but I'm scared even more about telling you about Jesus now because I'm afraid I might lose this relationship. But that's what God's calling us to do. I mean, he wants us to have those conversations. So there's a really practical way to do it. Hospitality is an incredible way to evangelize. And college, I mean, young adults, we have all the time in the world. So maybe you only have a dorm. It's like, who cares? Invite them over. You're doing homework. Do it with them. That's a great way to introduce people to the gospel. And another way to live it out is this. You should be willing to stand up when someone makes like a crass joke at work or says something dumb. I mean, you want people to know where you stand and which kingdom you're in? Call them out. And like, don't be a jerk about it. (laughs) Again, you might just earn some wrath, but if somebody's saying something, if someone's using the name of the Lord in vain, it's super simple. Hey, I just want you to know, I don't want you to say that. I believe that man died on the cross for our sins and that he died for yours too. There are just certain ways that we can sprinkle the gospel into our lives. And I think if you do that, you know what will happen? God will be glorified. You will be persecuted and the persecution will be terrible. That's my second point. First one is uh, persecution is inevitable, but it's also terrible. In chapter 16, verse 2, coming back to John, uh, Jesus makes it really clear to his followers that they will face persecution even unto death. And that's exactly what happened. If you read it, Jesus says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Literally, they'll put you out of the place of honor. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So again, disciples, you have not encountered suffering yet. Guess what? Soon they will, they will kill you. And outside of one of the apostles, every single one of them was martyred. So what Jesus says here is true. <laughs> the hour is coming. You're going to suffer. And it makes me uh, think immediately of Saul before he became Paul. I mean, you read his testimony in Acts. What was, he, what was he doing? He was a Jew. And he was going around persecuting Christians. I and mean, he talks about it. He's there for the very first martyr, Stephen. And it says that he approved these things. He was holding the coats. And if you go to Acts chapter 9, he talks about it. And he, he confesses this sin to the church after he's become an apostle for a long time. He says, I was doing those things because I thought it was what glorified God. You know, it's interesting. There are a lot of people who will persecute you for your faith thinking that it honors God. That still happens today. (laughs) But uh, even after Saul was knocked off the horse or the donkey and he got converted, persecution didn't stop there. In fact, right after Saul, you have Nero. And Nero comes, and he was the emperor of Rome, right as Christianity is um, being birthed as a religion and starting to spread, and he took a special interest in them. And he used them kind of as his scapegoats for all the stuff he would do. But I, as I looked into him, I found some of, the, some of the details of what he would do to Christians. And it's interesting, he would use them for sport. And so he would always host these huge parties. And what he would do is he would dress Christians up in fur and then he would feed them to his dogs as they were living. Whoa. On top of that, if you were a guest, uh, as you walked in, you would see rows of you know, believers crucified And then if the party was at night, it would not be lit by torches, but by human beings who were covered in tar because they believed in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, you keep going throughout history, and Christians have been burned, crushed, cut, torn, beaten, mocked, drowned, shot, beheaded, you name it, and it's been done. And I even think of... uh, Our context, even uh, a couple months ago, I was reading up about a young pastor who was shot in Arizona while street preaching. I mean, that was crazy. He's 26 years old. He's ex-military. I think he he had just gone out or he'd been honorably discharged. He's preaching the gospel. He's a father, has two kids. And as he was evangelizing, literally telling people about the hope they had in Jesus Christ, someone came up and shot him in the head. I mean, he wasn't bothering anyone. I don't think he was going after anyone. He's just there. Guys, somebody died so that you could be saved from sin. And that was enough for someone to attack him. I mean, that dude's testimony is crazy. I'd encourage you to look it up. He's a pastor. He would literally go street preach every day on Sundays, right before going to church for the evening service. And that's what he was doing. And what's even crazier about it is that God spared his life and he's alive right now. (laughs) Praise God. The Lord miraculously sustained him through it. But again, guys, throughout history, that is the kind of opposition that the Christian faith has had to endure. I mean, many believers have died terrible deaths for the sake of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that should sober us. I was reading this and I was just praying, God, would you give me the strength of my faith if that would ever happen, that I would be able to play the man. Because I don't know if somebody's, Saying, I'm going to light you on fire, or even worse, somebody you love on fire. Is that, God, do I have that kind of faith? Man, millions of people have died for the name of Jesus Christ. What a powerful name it is. In our day and age, it's interesting, but I already mentioned this, it looks a lot different. Uh, (laughs) Guys, we are blessed. We live in a place where we do not have to suffer that right now, and I'm thankful for this country. I'm thankful for the religious freedoms that it gives us that we could even gather right now. Like, there are countries all over the world where they would just, I mean, they give up anything for this right here. And so we get to have this moment, but in our day, we still face persecution, and guess what? It is still terrible, because you will not be made into a physical martyr, but a social martyr, And if you want to uphold any kind of biblical values that go against the grain, they will come for you and you will get canceled. (laughs) I mean, what that really looks like is you will have to deal with name calling, false accusations, verbal manipulation, and whatever tactic they can come up with to try and push you outside of the camp. And if I were to kind of assess what's going on, that's what it is. Okay, you're a Christian. We want to make you feel as if you're outside of what's civilized. If we can keep you there long enough and just squeeze you down, then maybe you'll give up on saying stuff about Jesus and making this all feel so guilty. So that's what we're facing right now. And nowhere is that pressure felt more than this group right here in our church. Maybe the middle schoolers and high schoolers. But it's young adults that are being squeezed more than anyone else right now because you want people to affirm you. I mean, that is like a natural desire. People are like, yes, I want to be affirmed. Oh, and then you realize that's sin. That's fear of man. The only person I need to affirm me right now is God and then whoever's following him. <laughs> but it's still a real thing. Like, it hurts. If you've ever had friendships that you've had to lose because of your faith, if you've had people come after you, lie about you, manipulate you, it's persecution. The world wants us to feel alone and isolated and uh, even though they would claim to be inclusive, they will be the first ones to exclude you because of their hatred towards Christ. And I feel like this is a, something I should say. When you're in that moment, if you're there right now or if you've ever been there, it's not so much that they hate you. And John chapter 15 literally says this. It's not that they hated you. It's that they hate Jesus Christ. That's why they're coming after you. Is because they cannot stand the fact that an almighty God is in control of their lives and they don't get to decide what they want. And even though that God is perfect and holy and loving, they would rather reject him than follow. That's why they're hating you in that moment. Why that's really important for you to understand is because if you don't understand that, you will in turn hate them and you will be enraged and you will be bitter. But if you recognize (laughs) this is all in Jesus, they're rejecting him, not me right now. I mean, praise God they're rejecting me as I'm in him. I'd rather stand with him. But it just allows your heart, it frees it up to not be vindic- like vindic- vindictive against them and to actually want to like share the gospel even more because you want them to be saved. And so that's what you need to be gearing up for if you want to follow Jesus. I love that Jesus doesn't like, he's not a con man. He's not trying to sell his disciples on following him. He's gonna tell you straight up, there's a cost. It means you're gonna suffer socially, you're gonna lose friends, you're gonna be in awkward situations but it's worth it. It is worth it to be a social martyr for Christ. It's worth it to be a physical martyr for Christ because he's the king of kings. And uh, as I was going through this, I could think of no better verse to share with you guys. And I just want to read this and I hope it encourages you. It's from 1 Peter 3. In verse 13, he says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, If I could just speak that over us, I hope that's true. That's a hard place to get to, but to say, Lord, it is better for me to suffer for loving Jesus than for doing evil and to count ourselves blessed when we step into that. And uh, as you do, as you step into that persecution, it's inevitable, it's terrible, but finally, this is the hope. And I wanted to end on hope because you want the good news to be the, what sticks. But persecution is also bearable. It's bearable. And for something to be bearable, that means it can be endured. It can be outlasted. And the promise of God's word is that no matter how hard the world might come against you, the temptation will not be so great that you cannot overcome it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love verse 26. He says, but when the helper comes who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And guess what? you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Guys, that is an awesome promise. I mean, in those moments of persecution, the Holy Spirit, who is himself God, will be with us and he will bear witness to Jesus Christ as we suffer. And he will also strengthen us in that moment. I love that the weight of enduring persecution is not on us alone. We get to share it with someone. And uh, if you've ever had to suffer through something alone, you realize really quickly that it's better when you have someone next to you. I love like Navy SEAL stuff. And like you watch any of the training that they do and it's just a bunch of men suffering together. Like no one ever goes alone. Why? Because you can go a lot farther with somebody else helping you. And here's the thing. We need Christians to be that community for us, but we have the Holy Spirit. And he's always with you. Even in those conversations that spring up on you, you're not ready for it. You're like, whoa, okay, at least I'm not alone. Lord, help me as I go into this right now. It's a reminiscence of another verse that comes up in scripture, another promise Jesus makes, and it's in Matthew ten nineteen. It's where he tells his disciples, when they deliver you over, literally when they bring you before the courts, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. And that's the hope, that not only will you be able to endure the suffering, but Jesus will use it to glorify his name. In that moment of persecution, God's got it. And your job in that is just to be faithful and to follow him. And so if I can encourage you one thing, like in that moment where you're feeling the pressure, you're feeling the squeeze, like your job is to not be sufficient for everything, is to say, I'm holding on to Jesus, letting go of everything else. And let's go, (laughs) whatever that takes. And uh, when you do that faithfully, there is such an encouragement because not only will you be effective in ministry, but you will get to share in the sufferings of your savior. That's exactly what Jesus is about to go into. He's about to suffer more than any of us ever will have to. And in those moments where we are suffering, somebody's coming after us, it is actually one of the moments where we are closest to our Savior because we are most like him is when we are suffering for his name. And I think this is why uh, John and Peter could rejoice. Uh, It's one of my favorite passages Talks about in Acts, it says that after you know the gospel had gone out, Peter preaches the sermon. Two thousand people get saved. I'm still waiting for that sermon for myself. Come, Lord Jesus, please. But uh, on a serious note, Peter he preaches this, and they go, and it says that finally they are preaching the gospel so much that the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, bring them in, and they beat them, and they tell them no more, no more telling people about this Jesus guy. And as soon as they're released, they have one, they have an awesome testimony to the Pharisees. But it says that as they were released. They rejoiced, and the reason that they rejoiced was because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. It's like, man, Lord, this is terrible, but that's what you went through for me. This is one of the most amazing opportunities for me to say thank you. If that's somebody making fun of me or telling me I'm unloving and kind, unkind, I'm like, "Bring it on. Someone telling me I'm a miserable person, bring it on. Not because I want to, like, offend them, but I'm like, yes, Lord. Any suffering I can go through in this life brings me closer to you. Makes me more like you. I want that. So may it be true of all of us. May we be willing to suffer the shame and the trial of persecution for the sake of our Savior's name. Even as I preach that, you want to know what the radical thing is about John chapter 15? It said, Jesus Christ never once says, and I'll pull you out of it. (laughs) Never once does he say, yes, you will suffer. But guess what? I'll like pull you out. I'll come down. You're going to have your like, uh, what is it? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego moment. I'll be there. He's like, I will be there, but you may burn. And that's going to happen. I mean, again, the guy in Arizona, like this is now daily. This is in our time. And he doesn't promise that he's gonna take us out of the trial, but he does promise that he'll see us through to the very end. Whether that's us dying or us coming through to the other side, either way, he will take us to the very end, even to the gates of heaven itself. That's our hope. It's saying, what can you do to me? (laughs) Fear not the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and soul. Fear not the one who can kill you. Fear the one who's gonna let you in the gates of eternity. And so as we, we kind of come to the end here, there was one last illustration I wanted to go to. Uh, if you were with us on Saturday, we watched The Two Towers from The Lord of the Rings. And uh, it was really fun. I enjoyed getting to watch it. But the, this passage was in my mind. I was thinking about you know suffering and all that. And the guy who stuck out to me was King Theoden. Uh, in The Lord of the Rings, you come across him and he's just like this ugly, grizzled old man, because he's been like pretty much corrupted by a wizard. It's a really good picture of us before we're saved. We're in sin. We're dead. We have nothing. And then all of a sudden, Gandalf comes in. So there's Jesus. Gandalf comes in and just boom, brings new life to him. And all of a sudden, he's the king again, and he's strong, but he's fearful. And he knows that he has enemies on the gates. And all the counselors are telling him, what do you need to do? He's, they say, you need to go fight them, meet them on the field. And he says, no, we're going to retreat. He's says, like, we're going to retreat to Helm's Deep. We're going to go where it's safe. And they go there. And guess what? The enemy comes there. And then he's like, okay, we're going to hold them off. Well, they don't. Literally, the, the wall like explodes and then they crash through the gate and they're coming. And now they're all the way to the final hall. And they're, they're there. They're going to bust down the door and kill everyone and the line that in says stuck out to me. He says, what can man do against such reckless hate? It's like straight out of this passage, practically. What can man do against such reckless hate? And you know what I love? This is what Aragorn says next. He comes up to me, he says, ride out with me. What can man do when the enemy's coming at the gates? Ride out with me. And I think that is such a picture of what Jesus is calling us to do right now. All of us are like that. We, our natural tendency is if we are seeing the enemy, we want to pull back and we keep doing that. And then finally you reach the point where there's no more ground to give. What do you do? You listen to your king who stands there and he says, ride out with me. And you say, okay, I'm gonna go have the conversation. I think that's what this passage is getting us to. They're saying, we're not gonna do it perfectly. But we need to ride out. We need to follow Christ into battle. We need to be courageous. Invite that person over to your house. Tell them about the gospel. Open your mouth. Live for Christ. Those are the things that it looks like to say, no, we're not gonna run away from the world as Christians. We're not giving up the public sphere because people don't want us there. We're riding out. I want 20s to be front and center in that charge from Redeemer. I mean, we're talking about this tomorrow. uh, For all weekend, we have this conference, Lead with Conviction. You know what I want to know it's about? It's about being in the world for Christ. And so I was like, man, how can I get us ready for that? Well, John chapter 15. And I would just encourage you, if you get the chance, sign up. There's still late registration. It's going to be amazing. But even if you don't get to go, heed the call of our King. Listen to the call of Jesus Christ and ride out with Him. Don't, Don't try and shelter yourself from persecution out of fear. Bear witness to Christ. Bear witness, knowing that this world's persecution is bearable through him. And know that our greatest opportunities for evangelism come in our greatest trials. That's the hope that we have. And so with that, I wanna pray for us and then we're gonna end with worship.